thought of other things that I hadn't thought about for a long time. And I was just blessed by some of the things that happened there while we were there and uh, and the people that lived there. I mean, they were really a blessing to us. They helped us in our life. So I just want to uh, think about that, how it has been a help for my life. Well, in 1992, it was 28 years ago, I was 85 years old, and we went to Belize. Now, I heard a lot of people discussing, when is a good time to go on the mission field? Oh, now, no. that's right, right now. <laughs> when God calls you, when God calls. It was 1992, uh, I was 85, yeah. 58, 58. <laughs> yeah, let's turn that around, 58. <laughs> well, I was 28 years old, how would I, I mean, 28 years ago, how old would I be now? <clears throat> okay, yeah, I was 58. That was pretty old to go, wasn't it? Well, some people thought so. The young people said, it's good when you go when you're old. The old people said, go when you're young. I had different people tell me that. Anyhow, it was, uh, uh, we, there was a, a seminar at uh, Penn Valley on missions. And I said to Lenny, I said, let's go out to the seminar. I said, I'd like to see what these mission seminars are all about. I didn't have an idea that there might be some scouts there. But any, anyhow, uh, we were there. And what she said before we left, there might be some scouts there. Oh, I said, I don't think so. So after we were there, and uh, Minna Fisher was there. And after lunch, we were having a good discussion, talking about different things. Another man came up to us and joined our conversation. I don't even remember who he was. I guess he was a scout, I don't know. But anyhow, he said, the minute, he said, minute, he said, you know, in uh, Belize, David smokers are going home. And he said, he's sick. And he said, there's nobody in Belize City. He said, you don't know of anybody that could go to Belize City and serve there, do you? And Mena said, that Mena was my wife's uncle. He said, my niece and her husband, they could go. Well, that didn't faze me. Man, I had a lot of nieces with husbands. And so I didn't, I didn't, it didn't faze me at all. And uh, the man said, well, who is this niece uh, with her husband? And he said, Alvin Bala right here. And then that struck me a little bit, but I, uh, I don't remember any of the rest of the conversation from there. I don't remember what we talked about because this was sort of working in me. So I, uh, that afternoon when I got with Linny, I said, uh, told her what men did, and I said, what would you say if they would ask us to go to Belize? She said, I sure would miss you. <laughs> <coughs> so, so I thought, okay, I'm free. I'm not going by myself. So anyhow, uh, we came home the next Sunday at church. They announced they needed a couple to serve at Belize City. And uh, if you know of anybody, why let us know about it. After church, somebody came to me and said, why don't you go to Belize City? You could go. 
Well, I said, I didn't think too much about that. I said, I'm not sure. And uh, somebody came to Lenny and said, when does you go to Belize You have, your children are grown and, and uh, you could probably go. But I often, often heard uh, stories about people say, when is a good time to go? Should we go while we have our children with us yet, small children? Should we wait till they're out of the nest? Or when's a good time to go? And uh, should we go while we're young? Should we go when we're old? I don't think any of those times are the, the time to choose when to go. The time to go is when God calls you. And he will call you if, if, uh, if he wants you to be there and he will help you to go. So uh, he called me by his, uh, this is what uh, Paul said in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. God called me by his grace to preach to the brethren, to the heathen. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Immediately, when God called him, he decided he's going to go. That wasn't exactly the way it was with me. I conferred a little bit with flesh and blood. And I want some confirmation more than that, I guess. So, uh, well, we, uh, the mission board soon called us and asked us if we would go. And uh, we said we have to give it some thought. We have, uh, my mother is a, a widow. She's 97 years old. And we visit her every Saturday evening. And she really depends on us. And I don't know if we can go as long as she's living. And uh, Lenny's mom is a widow. And her brother Ben was murdered in Belize. I'm not sure what she'll say if we ask her if it's OK to go. So Saturday nights, we went over to my mother, and, and uh, I told her, I said, they've asked us to go to Belize. How do you feel about it? She said, oh, no, probably never see you again. Well, I said, we didn't make any decision. They just asked us. So that was the end of the conversation. The next morning, she called me. She said, what I said last night, I shouldn't have said. She said, if you're called to go to Belize, I want you to go. So that was another answer for us. So we went to her mother. I don't even think she thought about her brother Ben because she said, go while you're young. So now what do we do? So we decided we were going to go and we were to go in June and um, six weeks before we were to leave, my mother passed away. She was 97 years old. We were there with her that evening, Saturday evening. And uh, after we had visited, we had a snack in the kitchen, sitting at the table. And as we were talking and she was eating, and she started going sideways, I thought she dropped something on the floor, but she kept on going. And I grabbed her and I helped her on the floor, and that was it. So that confirmation, I don't know, I didn't know if, I sort of felt like maybe she was worried about us that caused it and then other ways, I thought, well, it'll make it easier for us to go. So we went to Belize in June. We uh, flew down to uh, Belize City. And uh, uh, see, uh, yeah, Miss Nancy lived at Hattieville at that time. And it was Miss Nancy and Hudell had supper prepared at the house in Belize City. So they picked us up and took us to, to the house. 
and the uh, house was empty. After supper, they went back. They lived 15 miles away, Hattieville was about 15 miles. So they went home. And uh, so Lenny and I sat on the chairs there in the living room, looked at each other a little bit. I don't know what she was thinking, but I was thinking, what are we doing here? And uh, nobody around. There's a drug house right next door. Used to be a lot of shooting every once in a while now. And uh, a lot of drug activity there. I, I don't think they ever were a threat to the mission, but we used to hear gunshots every once in a while. And then Lenny said, well, if I ever hear a shot, I'm gonna duck. About that time we heard a shot. It'd be too late to duck then, maybe good for the second shot, I don't know. But. So, so the next morning, I said, well, I'm gonna walk out in the street, see if I can see some neighbors, maybe we can make a connection somehow. So I met a lady just across the road. She came and wanted to talk to me. She wanted to see who these new people are. And uh, we had a little conversation there, and when we were finished, she said, we be no more strangers. That felt good to hear that. Then he said, I'm going over to see Miss Eileen. There's two ladies live right next door, old ladies. She said, I'm going to go over and talk to them. So she went to see Miss Eileen, and, and uh, to start a conversation, she said, did you know the other mission ladies here? And she said, what? She could hardly understand the, the Creole's a little bit different, a little hard for us to catch on at first, too. She said, you, and she said, do you, under, do you know the ladies that lived here? Some a day, some a day, she said, well, then he said, did you know, maybe she thought she should mention some names. You know, I miss uh, Miss Nora and, and Miss Rebecca, and she had about quite a list of ladies that had lived there. Oh yeah, I know they, some a day be nice, some would be, hmm. I hope you be one of the nice ones. <laughs> and Lenny came back to me, she said, I have a mission. I want to be one of the nice ones. So, anyhow, this is, uh, what I was thinking about, the, about uh, Paul, what he said, you know, there were no excuses. And we didn't have any excuses either. If we are called, and we fear we might fail, or we feel we might not be qualified. It might be our pride if we have that kind of an attitude. God's call should be evident in ourselves, though. If we're called, we can't just uh, depend on what people are saying. You know, it should be evident in our own selves. How many of you have been to Belize? Oh, quite a few. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, five. And you're going, right? Plan to go? Yeah, good. Yeah, so we had been familiar with Belize. We had, uh, um, Kelvin had been working for us, and Anita lived in Belize. That was in 1984 when they got married, and uh, they were, he was going to go down to get married, and he had a, 
it was a 1980 Plymouth car, and I said, we'll bring your car down for you. You want to go to the police, you fly down, we'll bring your car down. So it was Lenny and I, Omer and Esther, and Lloyd, five of us in that car. It had a big trunk, I was glad for that. And uh, we were brave to try that. So going down through Belize, everything seemed to be all right. One night, we didn't drive at night, but one, one time it got dark while we were going through. And uh, all of a sudden we came to this big pile of brush, sticks on across the road. And then the men came running out. But they were soldiers, I was glad to see that. And uh, they started talking to us. I didn't know what they're saying. I talked to them, they didn't know what I was saying. After bit, they moved the brush, said, go. So that was a, we felt uh, good about that, that we were protected there. Well, the next morning uh, that we were there, Miss Nancy and uh, Lamar Raber came to show us the city and uh, tell us what the schedules are for the church. So uh, they took us in the city and showed us where the stores are and where the, where the bank is, took us to see uh, uh, Mario, Mario Lanza. He was uh, assistant pastor there at the church. And uh, so we met him. I had met him before, though. But uh, yeah, we went to see the city. And actually, we had uh, a, sort of like a store in our, in our house. The, the basement was for the church. Upstairs was our house. And we had a storeroom where the other missions would stop in and get like flour, rice, sugar. I'd go and buy it by the 100 pounds. So that used to get to see a lot of missionaries that way. And uh, so uh, we were, uh, went to see, the, and she told us what our schedule was. She said Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings you have church. So that was all right. Then she said Tuesdays, I mean, yeah, Sundays. Mondays seem sort of like a, a day off to catch up, maybe go get some things at the store. And uh, Tuesday evenings, we had uh, uh, singing at the hospital. We'd go and sing at the hospital, and Miss Nancy and Lamar would come and bring some more along, and we'd uh, go to the hospital to sing. And also, after the singing, we'd go around to the beds and, and pray with them. And the Belizeans really covet prayers. They just were open. They just, come pray for me, come pray for me. That's the way they did. One time our basement was flooded and I called the fire company. I said, could you come and pump out our basement? They said, yeah, we'll come. And they came and pumped it out. And I said, what do I owe you? You don't owe us anything. You pray for us. We have a dangerous job. So they were always ready for prayer. And uh, so we went to the hospital there, and, and uh, one time we were in the hospital, and, and uh, I was talking to a patient there, and uh, after a bit, a uh, little boy came running over to me, about a 10-year-old. He said, would you come and pray for my brother? I said, yeah, I'll be over there shortly. So I went over to see his brother, and his brother said, uh, he said, I'm very sick. I said, oh, what's wrong? He said, I was shot in the stomach. And he said, they don't have any, any uh, anesthesia or, or any uh, antibiotics, that's what he said. They don't have any antibiotics. He said, he ran out. 
And he said, I don't think I'm going to live long. I'm going to die. And I said, are you ready to die? No. He said, I don't know. What should I do? So I explained salvation to him, read the Bible to him, and he accepted the Lord. And the next morning, I said to Lenny, I said, I'm going in to see Jason. I said, he was very sick last night. So as I went in there, I met the nurse. I said, Jason's not in his room. Where is he? She said, he passed away last night, and so peacefully. Those words I never forgot, so peacefully. So the, I didn't really always enjoy going to the, to the hospital, but it was something that was uh, on the schedule. But that really helped me, and many things like that really helped me to enjoy the hospital. So Wednesday nights we had prayer meeting, and uh, that was a good time. They love to sing. Belizeans really love to sing. And they sing. And the children, they just give it all. And it was just, I just learned really to sing with them. So um, Thursday morning, prison ministry. So I went into the prison. I didn't know what to expect. It was an old prison. It had a big dorm. Dorm was, I don't think it was, it wasn't this big. The dorm wasn't this big. Had anywhere to 40 to 60 men in there. They didn't have beds for everybody. Some of them had cots. Some of them took their blankets and made a hammock out of it. And uh, it was loud. They didn't have any bathroom. They had five gallon buckets. And it was loud and it didn't, the odors were bad. And I thought, do I have to come in here every week? But it didn't take me long till you know, I despised the place. I just, I didn't despise the men, the people, because they were friendly. I took, always took a lot of tracks along for them. We used a track just for you. That seemed to impress them somewhat. And uh, so they were always, seemed to be glad to see me, but it just wasn't a very nice place to go. So uh, I despised it. And I thought of a quote that Aaron Lapp made one time. If you despise anyone, you will not have a ministry and a place. If you, then I thought, well, if you despise a place, you will not have a ministry. So that ministry became a blessing. It really did. Because I met people that were hungry for the word and they wanted tracks. Not everyone did. I was one time I, uh, handing out tracks and fell in a cell there. He said, uh, uh, I said, here's, you want something to read? He said, I don't want your stuff. He said, he said, I want food. You don't bring food. He said, keep going. I don't want, I don't want to hear from you. And I said, well, I'll just try to give you something to encourage you here and help them along. And I started walking away and he said, you'll be the first one I get when I get out. And I turned around and I said, what did you say? He said, never mind. So anyhow, yeah, I had to think, then I had to think of the Bible verse where Jesus said, you know, about if you're rejected, if you're not accepted, move on, shake the dust off your feet, keep going. Those Bible verses really became real. And also another thing, when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out by twos. And that's, I never realized the benefit that would be. When I took someone with me, 
And I was rejected, we were rejected. It wasn't just I was rejected. And I, we kept going. You know, sometimes, sometimes the way you were rejected wasn't very kind. And it would just make you feel like quitting. But if you had someone else along, you didn't take the personal. And, uh, well, there was one young fellow in there. He was a really devout Christian. And I had uh, good Bible studies with him. And, well, the time came that the people would be hollering for me to come over here, come over here. You know, they, they couldn't wait to have a Bible study. And, and that's, that really changed my attitude towards the prison. I didn't smell it anymore, but that just changed. So uh, this uh, fellow, Dean Vasquez, him and I were good friends. And uh, Monday mornings, I picked up the paper and the headlines, big headline, Dean Vasquez to be hung on Wednesday. And I said, hey, I'm going to prison today. It's not my day to win, but I'm going in. So I went in and I, asked the officer if I could see Dean. I didn't know if I could or not, and he said, yeah. So I went to see him, and his face shone. I, I, only one time before have I seen a person that had accepted Christ that his face really shone. But his face just shone. I said, Dean, what's happening? Well, he said, I'm all right. He said, they say I'm gonna be hung, but he said, it didn't happen yet, and he said, I'm all right. And he said, look out there in the courtyard. There they're building my casket. They would get the, the prisoners to build the caskets in the public for, to, I don't know, to scare them or something, and to make them see the seriousness of it. So um, Belize still had, uh, Britain still had some control over Belize. And uh, so they had been working at stopping the hanging. So. They got his case stopped. So, but he was—he uh, was a man that was ready to go. So, um, well, one time the uh, the prisoners went and took their blankets and lit them, start a fire. And they, they, they did get the fire out, but they tried it again. And that time they didn't get the fire out. They, they opened the doors, left all the prisoners out. So the prisoners were out in the streets. So the next day I went to town. I didn't expect anything like that. Here I saw some of my friends out there walking around. I said, what are you doing out here? Did you get released? No, we're out here trying to find some of these other prisoners and we're gonna take them back in. And uh, they give us three days grace. After that, there'll be some kind of a punishment. But if everybody comes back within three days, everything will be all right. So I'm not sure how many got back in. But anyhow, uh, I thought, well, I guess that was one plan. And uh, so they did build a new prison out in Hattieville. They built a new hospital in the city, too. And that was so much better to see that. So uh, uh, Friday nights was youth night. We enjoyed that. Had quite a few youth coming. And uh, when Andy came down, he came down six months after we had gone down. And uh, so uh, 
that encouraged the youth. Um, he could connect with the youth better than I could. And, and that summer, there's five youth joined the church. So that was a blessing to see that happen. And so glad to have him there to, to help me. So much work to do around there. We had many visitors. Some of you have been there. How many were down in police when we were down? Anybody here? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I remember that, David. See, who came with you? Oh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, we had so many visitors. We were at the hub like, and the uh, airport, uh, people used to come from the airport into our place. Actually, we used to pick them up, take, go out there with a the van and, and bring the people into, the, into our house. And uh, also, uh, they, they, some of them, well, there's seven missions, you know, with, and so they brought visitors, especially over the wintertime, people would come. And uh, so we'd bring people in, and she'd make, Lenny would make soup for them. I don't know how much she, soup she made down there, and, but, she fed them for in the evening. Some of them stayed overnight. Then the other missions would come and pick them up and take them to their place. Some of them stayed for breakfast. Plus, there was uh, missionaries came from the southern end, from the other Mennonites. And they would come up. They'd have people at the hospital. Maybe they'd come up and stay at our place. And just overnight, after they had the person in the hospital, they'd go home again. So Lenny said, I'm going to keep a, a diary or a book. See how many people are here from January through March, January, February, and March. And uh, so when people came, there's some people who came, couldn't write their names. And then he said, well, I'm going to just write their names. So January through March had over 400 people there. <laughs> she didn't just learn hospitality there, but she really learned a lot about it. <laughs> And, uh, but I don't know, she never wore out. And I, I guess I didn't either picking them up, but I was really glad when Andy came, he could help me pick up people and pick up the groceries. And uh, then they'd bring people up for the hospital. And uh, then they asked the missions, the Mennonite missions, they would bring some of their, their native uh, members, they'd bring them up in the hospital. And, some of them were never in the hospital before. Some of them were never in the city. Actually, I picked one up in the hospital one time, bring him to our house overnight, and I came through the city. We had one traffic light in the city at that time. And he said, uh, I stopped. And he looked around and he said, why you stop? I said, see the red light? Yeah. And I said, when it goes green, then I go. And he said, he started laughing. He said, where's the man that turns the light? So I took him to our house and we gave him supper and he was never used to sitting on a table. She had, we had watermelon on the table and he got some watermelon and he sat back away from the table. And he was eating this watermelon and he was spitting the seeds on the floor. <laughs> I guess the chickens were supposed to get him, I don't know. So anyhow, he, he said, I need a bath, Do you have a bucket? I said, no, I don't have a bucket, come with me. I took him to the shower, and he looked around a little bit, 
And I reached up in the wall and turned the speaker on, the water came out of the wall. And he just laughed. <laughs> so we met some of the people like that. Well, one time they had a person in the hospital, a lady, and she just had a baby. And they both died. So they called me and asked me if, if, uh, if I could uh, be there tomorrow to help them to. No, they came in the nighttime. Two boys came up, two young boys came up with a pickup truck. Didn't have anything on the back of the pickup. And I said, well, don't you have a casket? No, we'll just put it on the back of the truck. So we went into the morgue and I helped them load, it up, load the lady and the baby. And then they said, would you have a blanket? So we went back to the house and I said to Lenny, I said, do you want a blanket for this, to cover this lady? So we, she gave me, yeah, I'll give a blanket. And they, so they covered the lady and they said, well, next time we come back, we'll give you your blanket. She said, no, that's all right. You don't have to bother. <laughs> so, and another time they called me and said, uh, one of our men is in the hospital and he passed away. Could you go into the morgue and measure him? And then tomorrow I'll go get some lumber and then I'll come up and help you make a casket. So we did that. But the beautiful part when that lady funeral was, we went to the funeral, we wanted to see this. And she was laying in her casket and had the baby in her arms. It was really precious. I'd like to talk a little bit about our protection. Um, one time there was a uh, girl in our church, she said, uh, she's living with her boyfriend. And she said to Lenny, she said, I want to move out. I don't want to live with him anymore. I want to move out. You think Alan could take the church people home? And then come pick up my things and take me to my mother's place. And then she said, talk to me, talk to Alvin. So I went and uh, talked to her and I said, what did your boyfriend say? I was sort of afraid he might not accept it or might get violent. And she said, oh, he's all right. He's glad to get rid of me. So I took the church people home. I said, well, one thing you do, you get all your belongings and put them out along the road. So she did that. And I, as I pulled in, I saw everything there, nice along the road. And after a bit, I was standing behind the, beside the van. And she went in, I mean, she came out through, and on the way out, she picked up a rock and threw it in the window of the house. About that time, the man came running out, and he had a hammer. And she got behind me, between me and the man. She started, he started hammering her, both sides trying to get out, and she'd move. And I said, stop it. I said, don't do that. He took his hammer up towards my head, and he just held it there. After that, he just put it down and walked away. God's protection. Lenny got robbed one time. I'd like to, she, uh, one of our grandsons said, just recently said, I'd like to hear that story. Send me a letter about that story, the time you got robbed. And uh, so she said she'll send him a letter. She wrote him a letter. I'd like if she would read it to you. We're running out of time, yeah. All right, I'll just read the letter I sent to Logan. Logan is our 10-year-old great-grandson. He lives in Colorado, our oldest great-grandchild. And uh, is that okay? All right. Um, dear Logan, 
In your last letter, you asked me to tell you about the time I was robbed in Belize. It's a story of God sending his angels to protect me, so here it is. One afternoon, Grustardi and Andy went downtown to get a few things, and while they were gone, it started raining. It poured. We lived on the second floor, and I loved to hear the rain pour uh, on the, our tin roof. I was working in the kitchen when someone pounded on the door. I, I quick uh, tried to finish what I was doing, thinking it was, uh, was Grustardi, and he really does have keys to get in. Why is he hammering like that? But then the pounding really got bad, so I quickly headed for the door. And just then it burst open, and a man was there with a hoodie pulled over his face. I didn't know who he was, but I knew he just broke in, and I knew he had no business being there. So I stepped forward, and I said, what do you want? And just then I saw the knife. I mean, it was a big knife, about this big, shiny, sharp, and I shut my mouth. Um, he said, I want your money. The knife was long and shiny, like I said, and really looked sharp. I knew, I knew immediately that I was in trouble. I had no problem giving him the money, but the problem was the money was in the bedroom, and I didn't want, I didn't want him in there. So I said, I'll get the money. You stay here. I headed for the bedroom. He followed right after me. When I got to the door and asked him to stay, I stopped and looked around and asked him to stay there, but he just brandished the knife. I knew I had to go on. I didn't want to be in a robber, in the bedroom with a robber because that room was really, really small. The wall is barely 28 inches away from the bed on either side. And I know if I go to the right uh, nightstand at the head of the bed, and he was right behind me, I'd be completely helpless. He could push me over in the bed and do all kinds of bad things with me. But I had no choice. I went to the nightstand, got my purse, pulled out my wallet, and gave him all my money. Sometime during this trauma, I became aware of God's presence. There was motion, like a fluttering, on the ceiling in the corner. It wasn't far away, just up there. There was, there was motion. I couldn't see it. I couldn't hear it, but I sensed it. And I knew it was God, the angels that were there. I knew the angels were right close by, but I was still terribly afraid. When I dumped out my wallet, he grabbed my purse and just stood there. I asked him, what do you want? He said, I want more. I said, I gave it all. I the wallet was empty. It was all. And uh, just about then, he turned around on his heels and ran down the steps to go outside. I was afraid he'd turn around to come back, but he didn't. Then I called Miss Nancy's house, which is also on our property. I knew Lamar Raber was with her, and I asked if she'd send him over. When he came, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my head on the, in my arms. He knew something terrible was wrong, but he had to wait until I could talk to tell him what it was. Then he stayed with me until Grustody and Andy came home. After thanking God that I was not hurt, Grustody and Andy spent the rest of the day fixing two broken doors and two broken latches. I shall always be grateful for my protecting angels that day. I wonder how many other times I was kept safe, but I didn't realize it. And there's a Bible verse I want to read that, I, that uh, speaks to me ever since about that. It's in Psalm 92, uh, 91, verses 10 and 11. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. My promise. That was God's protection and probably your prayers. People were praying for us. 
I know that we could sense it. There's, um, I had a Galatians, uh, I mean, uh, I guess it was Second Corinthians chapter four was our favorite chapter. Read it sometime. I won't read it tonight, but uh, the last verse, I mean, the verse seven. I'll read that. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. My prayer in the morning used to be for protection and um, to be a witness and not to be frustrated if things don't go the way I would desire them to go and have peace with that. So we, we were there for two years and they couldn't find a replacement, so we stayed another year. So I guess it wasn't too bad to be there. And then 207, they needed somebody for somebody's furlough, and we went down for two months again. So the Lord has really blessed us. Let's stand for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the many blessings we received in life. You have chosen us before the foundation of the earth. You had a purpose for us. Father, help us to see that purpose even as we are at home here or wherever we are, we would see your purpose for us and that we would follow you and walk with you and trust in you and glorify you and be, be always grateful that you have taken care of us. We want to thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat>